0: Over the past weeks we've been sitting with Jesus on a hillside and he's been describing the kind of people to whom the kingdom comes and through whom the kingdom flows and his description has been different than the one we might have imagined that he would come up with. And he continues to be surprising as he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Uh, Metaphor is easy to understand. We all understand Hunger and thirst, when you think of what hunger and thirst is, they are alarm systems that God has put in place that we pay attention to. When we're hungry and thirsty, those are needs that we cannot dismiss. We cannot set them aside for long. They're critical needs. They're urgent needs. Uh, When we talk about hunger and thirst, we're talking about consuming passions. And because of the intensity of these desires, hunger and thirst are associated with singular Devotion, when you're hungry and thirsty, it's really, and you're really hungry and thirsty, it's difficult to think of anything else. Hungry and thirsty people do whatever it takes to get what they are hungry and thirsty for. When we're hungry and thirsty, we are highly motivated to meet those needs. We can all relate to craving food and craving drink, but craving righteousness, mm, that's kind of single-minded Intensity seems to be out of reach. It seems to overstate the matter. Hunger and thirst for food? Okay. Drink. Hunger and thirst for righteousness? There's a little description, a little thing I've, I ran into, it's like it called $3 worth of God. It's very short. Let me read this. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like $3 worth of God, please. Uh, hunger and thirst might overstate the intensity of our zeal, frankly, our zeal, uh, but in Jesus' day, there were people whose zeal was this intense. I think we could call it a hunger and thirst. And they were the Pharisees. That's why this parable Jesus presents about the Pharisees would have been so shocking. Look what it says in Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. It's in your worship folder. It tells a story to some who were confident of their own righteousness, and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, one home justified before God, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone, he who humbles himself will be exalted. This was spoken to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. We have on the one side, the tax collector, And at that time, there was not a more hated person. And this was a person that was seen to be beyond salvage spiritually. Here's the deal with tax collectors. Israel was under the dominion of Rome. They didn't like that. And they were uh, under the dominion of Rome, and Rome collected taxes. And they consigned people who were Jews to collect taxes to collect taxes from other Jews. And these individuals, these tax collectors, could put a surcharge on the tax. So there was the Roman tax, and there was the surcharge they put on the tax that went into their pocket. And these individuals were called tax collectors. And they were wealthy, and they were seen to be spiritually beyond salvage, and they were hated. And then there were the Pharisees. Pharisees were convinced This Pharisee would have been convinced that he was clearing the bar of God's righteous standard. They were confident because they made it their aim. Their singular devotion in life was to clear the bar of God's righteous standard. Before we shake our head and clock our tongues at this Pharisee, we would do well to take a careful look at him, to really take a look at this guy, and to notice and to inquire about his life, how did you come to be a Pharisee? What did you have to do to become a Pharisee? Um, in the second century B.C., the influence of Greco-Roman culture on the Jews was really strong. Jews have a particular identity that's very important and that they protect, but the Greco-Roman influence was filtering into the Jewish community and. Then many Jews were living like their Gentile neighbors. There came a group that rose up to try to reverse this trend. They were called the Hasidim, the Hasidim. And they were devout Jews who insisted on strict observance of Jewish ritual laws. And they were devout. By the time Jesus came around, they had split into two different groups. One group was called the Essenes. The Essenes broke off from other Jews and formed their own communes. They believed that Judaism was hopelessly corrupt. And so they moved out of the city into the desert to live in desert communes. When you think of Essenes, you might think of somebody like John the Baptist. He was kind of an Essene-like guy. The Pharisees were the other group that broke off from the Hasidim. So Hasidim, Essenes, and then there were Pharisees. The Pharisees found the Essenes too separatistic. They also encouraged their countrymen to approach God directly without temple and priests and rituals. But they did it differently. They didn't say, go make a commune in the desert. What they said, make your own house God's temple. You can observe God's standards in your home. You don't need to go to the temple to do that. And they taught that, again, every devout Jew's home is a temple. They were respected because they were so devout. And again, their devotion was in Let me tell you about Jewish education. Three levels. The first level was called Betsefer at the ages of 6 through 12. Jewish boys and girls would begin their education in the synagogue school. They would learn to read and write, and their text was the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It was called the Torah. And they were expected to, are you ready for this? Memorize it. The next level was Bet Midrash. This was only for those who indeed memorized the Torah. This level was from age 13 to 15, where they continued studying and memorized, are you ready for this? The entire Old Testament. 39 books. Very few were selected for this pursuit because not all were singularly devoted enough to pull that off. The final level was Bet Talmud, which was the longest in duration. It went from ages, are you ready for this, 15 to 30, where you're in education. And what you did, you sat at the feet of a rabbi and copied him. You learned what he had to say. You not only knew the Bible, but you memorized what this guy had to say about the Bible and what other people had to say about the Bible. Uh, You had to be invited by a rabbi, and if selected, you would begin a process of grooming that would lead to the potential of becoming a rabbi yourself. These guys, the Pharisee, came from that level, that Talmud. Memorize the first five books. Memorize the rest of the books. Memorize what people said about the books. These were the Pharisees. They hungered and thirsted for righteousness. Here's our question. How could guys like this go away hungry? Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And this Pharisee went away from this prayer in the temple, looked at somebody else, But he was singularly devoted, and he went away not filled. Why? And again, we say, oh, of course, no, really. Look at this guy. He fasts, he prays, he gives, he evangelizes. He's completely committed to the Bible. Why does he go away not filled? Jesus provides the answer in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is the sermon that Jesus spoke to his disciples gathered on a hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 6, I'm sorry, verse 1. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. When we do the right things for the wrong reasons that Jesus is indicating, We do not receive the applause of heaven. That's why he said, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men. If you do, and they applaud, and they look up at you admiringly, take a video, tape it, because you won't hear it from this direction. That's what Jesus is saying. Um, The wrong reason is to be seen by others, to be seen by others. And David makes a similar observation. Look what it says. Um, An oracle is within my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. In his own, there is, I'm sorry, there is no fear of God before his eyes. For in his own eyes, he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his own sin. There is no fear of God before his eyes. You know what David couldn't figure out? How people could do things and not feel bad about it. David did lousy things but when pointed out he could not not react with some degree of contrition what he couldn't figure out how somebody could with impunity without really seeming to to feel bad at all how they could keep on doing things that weren't in line with what god wanted and just and and he couldn't figure it out but he got an oracle you know what an oracle is you see the cartoon where the light bulb goes off and it goes bing you know it's like Eureka. Aha. That's what David got. He got an aha moment. I think it was from God. God said, and so he ended up saying, now I get it. That's what he said. In his own eyes, he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his own sin. That's it. You know what to flatter means? It means to smooth. You got a rock, you throw a rock in a river, and the... The river, the, the grinding up, will smooth the surface of the pebble. It's a similar image. In his own eyes, he smooths himself too much to detect or hate his own sin. To flatter, again, is to smooth. It's to project an extraordinary exterior in order to protect an ordinary interior. Um There's several dangers associated with reflection-based righteousness. You know what reflection-based righteousness is? When you do something and you look in my eyes or somebody else's eyes, are you catching this? And so you do the thing and I go, wow. That's reflection-based righteousness and you're drinking it in and I'm going like this and you're going... Again, it's, I don't think it's possible not to appreciate when somebody notices something that we do right. <coughs> not what it's saying. It's when that's what I live for. I arrange my acts of devotion. So I'm praying, and wouldn't you know it, it just happens to be noontime, and I'm in the center of the market. And if you're a Jew, you pray three times a day at noontime. Oh, hip, oh look where I am. And so what they would do is that they would pray eloquent prayers Oh, God. And you know what What Jesus is saying? Drink it in. I mean, he's not being harsh, but he's saying that is something that even though somebody's being hungry and thirsty for righteousness to do your acts before men in order to be seen by them, seems to turn off the applause of heaven. The guy goes away not filled. Dangerous. Greek culture understood the danger of living off the reflection of admiration of others. Do you know the legend of Narcissus? 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 Oh. Narcissus rejected the advances in Greek culture of the nymph called Echo. And this Echo's mother, the goddess Nemesis, was not pleased. So this is what she did. She consigned Narcissus to pine away as he fell in love with his own reflection. He was looking into a pond. And she caused him to fall in love with his reflection. And he couldn't back away from it. And that's the way he spent his life. Um, He had to pine away after himself exactly as Echo did. There's an interesting thing. Did Narcissus love himself? He didn't. You know what he loved? his reflection. You know the difference between loving yourself and loving your reflection? You know the difference between that? Loving yourself and loving your reflection. Um, The problem with loving your reflection is when your reflectors leave, the ability to love yourself lives with them. You can't love yourself if there aren't reflectors around. That's the problem with loving your reflection. You always need somebody to be around you, to be gazing at you admiringly. And when they're not there, you really don't know how to relate to yourself. That's the problem with Loving your reflection rather than loving yourself. Um, David realized a greater danger when image is everything. How things really are becomes submerged. They become inscrutable. When how things look is what matters and where we push down how things really are, at first we might just be setting it aside how things really are. I think I'll just put it over here. But over time, what ends up happening, it goes deeper and deeper and deeper down inside. And if we continue to cultivate a... we can lose touch with what's inside. And it gets to the place where we can't look at it anymore. We become split. Think what David was saying, there's no fear of God before his eyes. In his own eyes, he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his own sin. We become blind to our shortcomings. Jesus identified the greatest danger, I think. The greatest problem with doing acts of righteousness before men is that if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Self-righteousness prevents hunger and thirst from leading to becoming filled. How do we? come to a place where hunger and thirst leads to being filled. Jay's going to come up and talk about a woman whose experience with Jesus provided just this.
1: I'm going to start with the end just so you can see. I want you to picture me talking with some people and I'm a little town guy and I'm talking with one of my fellas and I'm and something just happened that was really weird. And I say to my boy, hey man, did you, did you see who just, did you see who just invited us to the, you know that dude Jesus, he's, he's in town. I didn't know that. My boy says, yeah. I said, but did you, did you just, did you just see who invited us to the, I mean, it, it it was, it was Josie. You, you know, do you know the one, the one that sleeps with those, you know, that girl, she just invited us. We never see her cause she only comes out at night. What's she doing talking to us? What happened? My friend said, oh, dude, I don't know, man. Like, yeah, you're right. Like, I never heard that I never even heard that girl's voice, yeah, man like she said, uh, come see the man who told me everything I did every and she called him Christ she said, we we gotta come see him. Something happened to her do you do you know? I asked my boy, "You you know what happened to her? Nah, man. I I, I don't know. I, I don't ever see her, man. Like all the ladies come out in in the morning to get water and stuff, and she never's with them. So so what happened? I don't know, man. You know how she is, man. She only goes out in a time of day when ain't nobody at the well, man. Like so, I don't know. Do you know what happened to her? happened to her there's some Josie's and Joseph's here what happened to you something happened I contend this they don't give this Samaritan woman a name but before she knew Jesus she understood Psalms 36 she understood the oracle lived the Oracle. And and she was in love with the reflection she got from the men she was with. Do you hear what I'm saying? She was in love with the twinkle in their eyes. Who cared what she had to do to get it? She was in love with maybe the the jingle of the change that got exchanged. Who cares what had to She had a moment, I think at some point when this thing first started, when her behavior bothered her. There was an echo of a conscience or something. But when you repeat the behavior over and over, you start to deny the voice. The voice says, hey, Jamie, really? And I say back to the word, really? Right now? Right now. You know that voice. I'm about to get angry, and the voice says, come on, man. You said, dude, you better shut up. Like, I ain't trying to hear you right now. Somebody's going to get it. Or you're scared of something you shouldn't be afraid of, and fear says, dude, let's run. Curry says, stay, man. Maybe it'll Nah, man, I'm out. Right? You know the voice. You know the voice. Laziness says, ah, I don't know if I want to do that today. Not today. Responsibility says, hey man, let's get this done. And you say, I think I'm I think I'm listening to the lazy, dude. And at and, and at first there's an argument. Mark talks about the good and the bad or whatever. At first there's an argument. But the oracle seems to suggest that I quit doing this, start doing this, and when I quit doing this, and I quit, and I don't have this, I start to resurrect a reflection that makes me feel comfortable, and that's the thing I pay attention to. The scripture says this, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, "Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. Now, to understand the gravity of just that phrase, you got to understand this. If I use some different words, just so you get it, you're white. I'm a nigger. Uh, no, you shouldn't be talking to me. That's how strong that was. That's how strong the division was between the Jews and the Samaritans. That's how strong not only there was the division between the Jews and Samaritans, but that's how strong this woman's lifestyle separated her from normal people. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you're that alone, you got to figure it out. And if you don't have medicine for the hunger and thirst in your heart, you create a potion. The potion can be food, sex, drugs, partying, cleaning, fixing, whatever, the smiling, making other people happy, whatever the potion is, you create it. She says, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? for Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said, sir, let me show you the woman said, sir, give me this water. So that I won't be thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, what she's saying is, you got some water, so I have to, can you give me some of this water that lives so I don't have to come at the hottest time of the day? I, I don't even think she was thinking about joining the human race. She was saying, it's a hassle coming in the Middle East at the hottest time of the day to get water, but I have to because I don't want to deal with them, them ladies or them so called Christian women who just gossiped and talk about me. Forget it. He told her, go call your husband and come back. Now, something happened, y'all. There was something about the presence of Christ that changed the answer. Let me ask you this. I say to you, go get that, whatever it is you want to hide from me. Are you going to bring it out? you ain't bringing it out. Tell me what you did last night. Mm, yeah, ah, ah, how, how about we, uh, talking about, I, hey, I had some chili last night, dude. It was, I'm not telling you what I did last night. Listen to what she does. He says, go get your husband. And come back. She says, well, hmm, I, I don't have a husband. Jesus says to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have five husbands, and the man you're with now not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Now, I could say it one way. You're right, and you better have told me that because I know the truth. You're a slime bucket. You got five dudes, and you got another dude that what's wrong with you? I don't think that's what happened right there. See, as, when you, when you, when you, the problem is, and I'll be short with this. The problem is the oracle says flattery, which means I turn into myself and I figure out my own. The the image there, the another image there when I was looking at it last night was King Sin shows up to David and talks to him. Sin says, hey, man, you you wondering how they act that way? I can tell you. And David says, oh, sin, you showed up. You want to talk to me now? And sin says, I turn them inside out. And I make them believe that that thirst that they have can be solved with some sort of sacred performance. I did say sacred. I say sacred not because it is of any value. I say sacred because it becomes sacred to me and secret. And when that happens, see, the problem is hunger and thirst is about connection, but we fix hunger and thirst with religious devotion or sacred devotion to whatever it is, sacred devotion to money prestige, fame, whatever it is. Sacred devotion, but the prob the problem is only fixed with divine graceful connection. Jesus shows up and you know what? In that context he can, he's able to say, "You know what, honey? You told the truth." Yeah, I, I and I know for a fact, you know, you told the truth because I know you've had five guys and I know the guy you're with is not your husband and I know you're still thirsty. And she says to him, yeah, yeah, how'd you know that? I mean, I I ain't going to tell them, but I got six dudes and it don't work. They still can't get it done. I'm still not happy. He says, I know. There was something that changed. (laughs) Then leaving the water jug, the woman went back the town and said to the people now in that moment there was a change actually there's a a jump in the scripture some stuff happens and then they come back to the story and I posit to you this and I'll finish with this what is required to move from sacred self reflection and sacred devotion to what fanatic call spare rituals. They don't they don't have any value. Only thing that can fix that is the connection to a graceful, loving creator who understands compassionately and is the one who can actually quench the thirst and feed the hunger. And what he says is this I'm not going to stop it. All of a sudden. See, I don't think that lady walked away. She was different. But she didn't walk away perfect. She was different, but he wasn't finished with her yet. And it takes a lifetime for us to have our hunger and thirst quenched. On the other side of heaven, we roll around in the in the in the in the glory of it. Right in here, we struggle along. We battle. But I think this lady shows up. Maybe she's Mary Magdalene. Maybe she's not. Maybe she's one of the few, a number of women who begin to follow Jesus because it was okay to be a woman and follow Jesus. But I don't think she leaves. I don't think her story ended here. Matter of fact, I also think people came to the meeting because she talked. And people were curious. They didn't come to the meeting to hear the great news of Jesus. They wanted to see the dude that changed this girl. And walked in and got changed themselves. So to move from that, from denying, or what we could say, hurl, hide, and huddle. Because that's what we do. If you have a hole that needs God and you use you use sacred devotion, you have to hide from God, hurl or huddle. Hurl blame for your problem and your pain still with other people and then huddle with other people who agree with you. You feel sorry? Yes. You suck too? Yes. Is your life happy? No, me either. And we hang out together. And then if we if I'm a gossip group, I say, did you see what Denise did? Yeah. Did you say we whispered? Okay. If I'm a competitive dude, I'm and that mic sucks, man. I can tell you I talk better than him in front of the pulpit. You know, but we gather with people. Oh yeah, man, I don't understand how they don't have you up there all the time. You know, it's stupid. But that's what high, hurl, huddle is. Jesus shows up. And if Jesus is who he says he is, because see, some people say Jesus shows up, and I'm not sure that's Jesus. I'm not sure it's Jesus. Because Jesus shows up and starts pointing fingers and stuff and looking at you with fries in his forehead. (laughs) And disappointed, stomping around and yelling, I'm God. No, that is not Jesus, dude. That's not the father. That's not the father. He don't have to do that. He could disappear you by like doing this. Go. And you're gone. You don't exist no more. He don't have to use a lot of effort. Jesus showed up to this woman and he didn't show up big. He said, hey, 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 hey. Hey, hey, hey. Tammy, can I have some water? I'm thirsty. And he was a man of privilege. Speaking to a woman with no privilege. And he gave her privilege talking to her, and not just doing a favor, not helping her, but connecting with her. And when you connect with the king who's merciful and who understands and who sees and who's patient and who's gentle, all of a sudden, you're at the front of the meeting, inviting people to the meeting. Yo, 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 y'all, y'all gotta come to the study out of out in the country. We got this church out in the country. Y'all gotta come see what's going on here. That's what happens. That's what changes hearts connection instead of spare devotion, instead of of sacred devotion to spare rituals. Amen?
0: Father, you understand what we're like. We tend to hide, we cower, we cloak, live in the the reflection of that which at least turns off the shame and the guilt for a little while. We know it's going to come back, but We've got to do what we've got to do. And then you approach us. And we think you're one way. We think you're impatient. and Demanding. And then we start to learn what you're really like. Gentle. We experience gentleness. And humility of heart. And we come out of our shells. And we bring our stuff with us. The stuff that we hide. And... You embrace us with those things. And we start to get to know you. And then we start to drop those things away. Never perfectly, but little by little. Changed by grace. Transformed by gentleness. Thanks for your regard. Would you help us to see you for who you are? so that we can be who we really are in your presence and we can be changed by your gentleness, Jesus.